All right, so we are in page 79 in the study guide. That's actually in the appendix. This is one of the topical lessons. So last week, we, we finished out chapter 3. In chapter 3, at the end, Paul points out that there seems to be a conflict between the Mosaic and the Abrahamic Covenant. The Abrahamic Covenant was made by promise, and the New Covenant was made by promise. The Abrahamic Covenant said it was a blessing to all nations, and the New Covenant was also to be a blessing to all nations. But in the middle, you have the Mosaic Covenant. And the Mosaic Covenant says, don't have anything to do with the Gentiles. Right? So it starts off, bless all nations, don't have anything to do with the Gentiles, bless all nations. And you're kind of thinking, why have this detour in the middle? And so Paul points out that you cannot annul a prior covenant with a later one, where the prior one always takes, it takes precedence, that's true to this day. So what's going on there? And he explains what was happening. He said the law was added because of transgressions. There's multiple ways you could take that, but I think what Paul's saying there is it's like if you understand how messed up the people were in the in early in, when the law was given, then you can understand what was going on there. So it's kind of like if you have a dog that keeps biting, what do you do? Well, you can either A, just let it out and bite everybody, or B, you can put it in a cage. And so that's basically what he said, because he, he says essentially it was put into a cage, imprisoned. And so you do that until, of course, you can trust them. That's what you, you have a dog that keeps biting. Once you can get to the point you can trust the dog in that bite, then you can let it out of the cage. Then you can give it freedom. So he says it's imprisoned for that temporary time. But, it was in, but that's the point, temporarily. And then he points out that the, the law was going to be achieved not through the Jews, but through a Jew, right? It's only one. And, and that's the, the, law, the big picture story was always about how the Messiah would come. And then we talked a bit about how faith, faith was always here, I mean, in a certain sense. And he says when faith came, so he is, Paul is saying that there's going to be a change here, but faith goes all the way back to the Old Testament. Really, faithfulness has been all the way past the, the Torah, and it goes back to, all the way to the Abrahamic covenant. But it is also different. So while it was there, it's also different because Jeremiah, for example, Jeremiah 3 was brought up as pointing forward to when there's going to be a new covenant in which people's hearts are going to be circumcised. Many, many of the prophets have pointed this out. So there's some tension where faith was always there. At the same time, there's something a bit different in the new covenant. All right, so I think that's everything for the review. And then Lloyd's going to lead us in a prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for this day. We're thankful to be together to study your word, and specifically the book of Galatians. Um, this theme is that we are all saved by your grace. Uh, you are merited favor, and we're so thankful for that. Uh, pray for everybody who is here today. We're thankful for all of our visitors. Uh, we ask that you send the Spirit, clarify, help us understand what the lesson is in Galatians, Amen. G.K. Chesterton once said, without fences, there is no freedom. Now you might look at this and be like, well, that sounds like the opposite, because doesn't a fence restrict instead of giving you freedom? And imagine it this way. You have a couple of kindergarten kids, and they want to play in the backyard, but there's a highway nearby with fast-moving cars. What do you do? Well, if you don't have a fence, here's what you have to do. You have to go out there and say, okay, yeah, you can go that far. Okay, don't go that far. You have to come back. Okay, yeah, you can play over there. Wait, that's too far. Come back. And you, you have to direct every single step. And so Chesterton points out, if you have, if you apply this concept to that, if you have a fence and you can trust them to stay in the fence, then you don't have to direct every step, right? You can come inside and you can assume that they will play where they're supposed to play. 
And I'm saying this because I think there's a, as Chesterton goes on, there's an aspect of this that makes sense when you compare the new law to the old law. Because Chesterton points out, he said, when you get rid of the big laws, by the big laws, I mean those big high-level principles, when you get rid of those, he said, you don't get lawlessness. You don't even get anarchy. What you get are the small laws. Right? You get lots and lots of small laws that fill those in. And some of you have probably seen this at work. If you've, ever, if you've worked at several places, I mean, you'll, you'll see this pretty quickly, where you get, you'll get leaders who come in and micromanage you. They don't tell you what they want. What they do is they tell you every single step along the way. Right? You bring them a stick, because that stick, oh, that stick's too small. And you bring another, oh, that's too big. Okay, why don't you just tell me what you want to do with the stick, and I can figure out the right stick? No, they don't do that. What they've done is they have replaced the big laws with the small laws. And so I think that that idea is actually, in many ways, applicable to the new law. Now, that's one aspect of how the new law is different than the old law. And that's what we're going to talk about today, is in how is the new law different than the old law? All right, any questions or comments so far? All right, so let's do the first question. That's going to be... Oh, yes, sir. Sorry, I, I waited too long there. Um, it, it's the same, the same idea for accounting. There's generally accepted accounting principles. And so there are these big ideas like your revenue should be recorded along with the expense. So there are big principles that everybody try and follow so that you have clear financial statements but then people come along and they go well I'm going to subvert the principle or I'm going to say I'm going to follow this other principle and it's actually kind of misleading so there are lots of little laws but I, probably nobody else benefits from that comment so. <laughs> where's pride on I was going to say alright John and I have had almost the exact conversation. I mean, we have had almost the exact same conversation. You're right. You, what happens is you get these principles, and then somebody abuses them. So what do you have to do? You have to fill it in with a bunch of other little rules to say, basically, don't do that. And what's the problem there? The problem is a lack of trust. I mean, I worked for a, I sold a company once to a company that turned out was doing creative accounting, which is you know creative. There's two places where creative is bad: theology and accounting. That just doesn't end well. <laughs> Yeah, so it's funny. Yeah, literally, John Carlin and I had that almost exact conversation several times. I'm not an accountant, but it made sense to me. All right, so let's start off with, let's talk about some ways in which, on page 79, the question about how, list some passages that show that Jesus had a different view of the Torah than his peers. Because when Jesus talked about the law, he clearly talked about it in a way that was quite a bit different than the way a lot of his peers thought. And this is especially true if you read the Talmud. You'll realize it's very, very different. So what do you think about that? Let's start with the Sermon on the Mount and how he referenced the law but explained what the true meaning was behind it. You've You've missed it. Yeah, the Sermon on the Mount, I think, is one of the big ones. It was the first one that pops in my head. And, and I like the way he put it because it was, 
he explains kind of what's under the, the principles that are under the law. I don't think he's just giving a new set of rules. He's actually explaining what, okay, there's something there that you guys missed the entire time. And it was always there in a certain sense. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, this is a good point. He, did not, he didn't say he's just going to get rid of it. It's like, oh, that didn't work. Let's just get rid of version 1.0 and we'll replace it with version 2.0. He's like, I'm going to fulfill it. And I like the way you put it too because you said it had its purpose. That's precisely how Paul says. It had its purpose for a time, but that, that has been fulfilled. That's exactly what Jesus said. So Jesus and Paul are totally on the same page on this. What else? Yes. Actually, a whole lot of things. One, it showed that it could not be uh, obeyed. It could not be kept. Because they didn't. And so that was a, a lesson for them and a lesson for us. Uh, checklists don't make it. And I think that's another thing the Sermon on the Mount points out. Okay, it's not just a checklist. Why was it? In the beginning, you keep pointing them back to that. So it's not a checklist where they thought they, even, even the law is not a checklist, right. but they looked at it as one. Yeah. And, uh, so that, that's a big one. I totally agree. So the two points you brought up that it's not a checklist, which is precisely how they had started to view the law. And this is the question that we keep bringing up, is that how much did people miss, was Paul's criticism leveled against people who misunderstood the law, and Jesus' criticism against that they misunderstood the law, and how much of it was that against the law itself, right? And I think it was. I think there was a, a misunderstanding. Remember, Jesus is talking to people who are under the law. And he's like, you guys missed this. You, you actually gutted the heart of it by putting all this other stuff around it. And that's exactly what, if you go back and read the Talmud, you'll read all the stuff they added to it. At one point in there, one of the rabbis complains. He said, because there are 3,000 rules on how to plant squash. And he says, and that's before we even get to the point of how you eat it. <laughs> 3,000 rules. And they put this fence around it. So like, well, okay, the, the Torah had lots of laws, but let's put some more laws around it. This, this is the problem. And then they gutted the very point in the middle. And like you said, too, they, you find that ultimately no one can keep this law. And right, you go in there and Jesus is like, okay, yeah, um, so don't commit adultery. Also, don't even think about it. But you keep reading this stuff. It's like, well, if you get under that, this is actually in some ways a, a broader application and therefore harder to keep in a certain sense. Uh, David, I think is how you can address Yeah, that's, that one is, a, I think, one is probably the most of the most noteworthy ones because 
Jesus seems to just purposely poke them in the eye on this. He's like, yeah, you know, I could wait two hours to just heal this person, but I won't. <laughs> I'm going to do this right here, right now. And you think about it, it makes sense because what was the Sabbath supposed to be? This is the problem is a lot of times what happens is people put all these rules around getting all the little, little check boxes and doing these rules about something and they lose the thing itself. They actually lose the concept. What was the whole point of the Sabbath? Listen, slaves didn't get a day off, okay? Except for these people aren't slaves anymore. Remember, God freed them. It's the whole concept of the Sabbath here that they had somehow, they turned it into a different form of slavery or something, which is a bunch of rules, and lost the concept. And I think that's why Jesus is willing to poke them in the eye on this. Yes, Brad? Um, Mark 7 is, is a pretty good um, example of the different view of the, the old law. Um, Jesus says, uh, starting in verse 6, um, that Isaiah was right when he said, you honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. And the example that he used is, you're setting aside the command of God in order to, to observe your tradition. The command of God was honoring your father and mother, and if you curse them, you should be put to death. But you say, whatever would have been used to help my father and mother is Corban and is devoted to God. It, um, and we can talk about, I don't know exactly what they mean by that, but it says, so you no longer let them do anything for their father and mother, and you nullify the word of God by your traditions that you've handed down. And the, at the end he says, and you do many things like that. So what they wanted to do was keep their money or, or use it for, a, for something. And so they nullified the, the law to say, honor your father and mother, take care of them. And you say, they, they made this rule. Well, that has been given to God, so I cannot use it for that purpose, mom and dad. I'm so sorry. I would take care of you, but it's been devoted to God. And there were many things like that. Um, so what, what do we do? that might fall into that category, right? Where we say, that's been devoted to God, so we can't do this good thing that God also commanded. Yeah, this is a really good example. And I, I like how you put it, because Mark 7 does point out how it's, okay, you're, you're giving up on one of the actual laws with some sort of, cre again, creative. Creative in theology is not good some creative ways to get around the law and, and, and then to dress it up like it sounds holy. Right? A lot of people do this, unfortunately. It's easy to fall in this trap because it, it sounds right. It has a certain sound of sounding right and it's totally wrong. Like you pointed out, and he says, and many other things you do this with. You've completely gutted the original intent and lost it along the way. Yes, John?
<laughs> yeah, I, I, this is, if you read much on Orwell, Orwell has a, an essay that very much fits with what you're saying. And it's called Politics in the English Language. And he talks about how people will take words and do exactly what you're saying. Like, these laws are made of words. So the way you can get out of laws is just simply by redefining words. And actually, that, that company I told, I said something about how I sold, we sold a company to this other company that turned out was using creative accounting. They got out of paying us money by redefining words. They said, well, what we mean by gross project income is this. And it's like, that's not what it, you knew, that is not, you knew what that meant when we signed that contract, but they would just redefine the words to get out of it. And think about it, think about how this fits with some of the issues Jesus sees in the Gospels. Yes, Jesus, but who is my neighbor? What is a neighbor? Oh, yeah, you're going to try to get out of that one? And I like how you put it, that's power of parables. Jesus is like, oh, yeah, let's have, let's have it out on this one. But he doesn't get in and say, let me open a lexicon. He's like, let me tell you a story. Because you can't wiggle your way out of that story. That's part of the power of narratives like that. And of course, even the guy at the end is like, well, I mean, I, yeah, I was, it, it was the one who stopped. It was the, was the neighborly one. I was like, well, yeah, right. You knew. You knew what this meant. Okay, you were trying to get out of it. Yes, Fred. Me? Yes. Oh, sorry. It looks like one. Okay. Um, so, you're, you're, you honor me but your heart is far from me. The question of, yeah, but who is my neighbor, says something about the heart of the person. And it's that I don't want to do that. I don't want to be a neighbor. So, like you said, I'm going to try and redefine the word or define it so that I don't have to do anything. Or I'm going to limit it so I don't have to act because I don't want to do that or, or whatever. So it says something about the heart. And so... Then you go back to how does God want us to use our hearts? He wants us to listen to our hearts because that is where his word is written. And so there's a reason our heart pushes and pulls our thinking, our emotions, um, and we need to not disregard it uh, and say, yeah, but this human tradition. Yeah, this is, and this is the thing about it. If, this is like Isaiah says, right? Your hearts are far from me. If you get the heart wrong, you can't fix that by patching it with a bunch of rules. It just doesn't work that way. They'll always find a way out of it. It's just, and you see, again, you see this, you can see this in companies where somebody goes and they mess something up. I'm like, okay, well, uh, we're going to have to have another rule. And then and somebody else messes something up because they're not in good faith. We're going to have another rule. And then what happens is, is, well, one, all the good people leave because they get tired of being suppressed by all these rules when it's like, and so you actually push out, you set the bar really low when you do that, and you push out all the good people who get frustrated with all this excessive structure, and you keep all the bad people. What you, you structured it for the bad people, right? That's what happened when you made all those rules. Yes, ma'am. One thing Jesus was really good at, too, when he talked to them, is pointing directly to them that if you try to live by the law, you can't. But if you try to live by the law, then you're going to be judged by the law. And you're going to be in trouble because no one can live by the law. Right. And Peter says that exact thing. He said, why, on Acts 15, he said, why are we going to put the law on the Gentiles? We couldn't even keep it. Right? This doesn't really make any sense. And Jesus says something similar where he's like, you will be judged by the way you judge others. So if you're going to go on there and say, well, I think I'm saved by doing, a, you know, like, like a checklist. If you people think like that, okay, make sure you can check every option on that checklist. 
And make sure your checklist is big enough. It includes, it needs to include, be like Jesus, okay? This is, Jesus sets a very high bar. He does not set a lower bar in the new law. He sets a higher bar. Yes, ma'am. Well, and even if, regardless of one's view on it, on the conclusion, if we focus on the negative, well, we can't do this one way, but, but there's still, we still have to do something, right? There's the positive rule. There's, we can't just look at the do not. We have to look at the do's, right? The do do's in there too. So that's still there, right? It doesn't go away. Okay, and that's a good point. And there's a lot said in the New Testament about not living in fear, right? I mean, 1 John is a, it's probably one of the best, most applicable examples here. Do not fear, okay? That's what we don't... So, here's the thing. The, if you look at the list of checklists of do not, do not, do not, do not, do not, do not, that's how you get fear. But if you look at the opposite side, it's like you're set free, free to do something, right? It's actually to do something then that is actually quite engaging. That gives you, oh, I, I have a purpose in life. I, I feel activated to go do something and energized for it. Yes, Chris? So a lot of things we talked about have indicated how they have misinterpreted the old law. But the view of the apostles and Jesus was different on the old law in some other ways, too, uh, in the fact that they recognized that it was going to end. You know, so many times that they accused him, oh, you're talking against the law and against the temple and against these things. Uh, you're going to destroy the temple, they, you know, they told Jesus. Well, they understood that that was going to end, but their peers didn't seem to understand that. Yeah, I, I think, and that is a key element, it's exactly what Paul makes in, in Galatians chapter 3, that the law was supposed to have an ending point. And then you go back and you read, you go back into the Torah itself and you realize, yeah, so did, so did Moses. Right? Moses says, you're going to get the blessings. Oh, and you're going to get the cursings when you actually break all of this. And so he had this proper view. So did Abraham. So they, they actually all seem to share that view, except for the people who that Jesus was interacting with and those who wind up killing him. I think I saw another hand raised. Yes, Bob. Uh, another big difference is whereas prior or the law itself <coughs> Whoever turns to God and follows God is acceptable. 
Yeah, and this is precisely why one of the issues Paul sees with it, like the, the Torah was exclusionary, right? It, was, it had a set of laws scoped for a very particular set of people. And I think it could be said that a lot of those laws were intended to keep them separate from the other people. That's why it looks in a certain sense like the old law seems to undo the, the Abrahamic covenant beforehand. And then looks odd compared to the new law, which is to everybody. And then the concept of faith is universal. Circumcision was meant for males and it was meant for Jews. That was it. But faith applies to all people. And so, yeah, that exclusionary aspect is definitely in there. That that's, makes a lot of sense out of Galatians and Romans. I think I saw another hand raised. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, I think this is dead on. Okay, so two, two elements. It's hard because we have to work together. And not everybody agrees on some of these things. How do we do that when we don't agree? Right, this is, this is what makes this difficult. And, and this, this fits with the prior comment. How do we work forward with that? And you see this in passages like Romans 14, which when you, when you understand the difference in this, you can understand why issues like this came up. But how do you work as a group when we don't agree? And I, there's also something you said that I think is also true is that Having the checklist is comforting because I can go through and I can go check, 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 check. Unless, unless your checklist is long enough and then you realize there's some checklist in that box I can't check off, and then it gets it becomes very uncomforting. But but I do think you're right on that. Yeah, that that's very very true. Uh, I think I saw another hand raised. Somebody raise their hand. John, thank you. Yeah, I, I, first of all, I think you're absolutely right on this. First of all, there's a, the Old Testament, there's a lack of trust in the Old Testament. And I think what John's saying there is that the Old Testament was designed, it, remember, it says it came because of transgressions. There were people who were not acting in good faith and had to be restricted, kind of like the dog you can't trust because it keeps biting you, so you put it in a cage. And I, I think that is true, which is precisely why faith, faithfulness, is repeated over and over and over again, right? Especially in the new look, this is how it works. It only works if it's in the context of trust. Now, the other thing is that you mentioned, and we're gonna talk about this later, not today, but when we get to freedom in Christ, is that people misunderstand freedom. I think this is absolutely true because they perceive freedom as solely freedom to choose. That's it. What's more complicated than that? And I like the way you put it too. You have to look at it as giving you a responsibility. 
Because in that context, when we talk about freedom in Christ, we're going to talk about how the difference between being a slave and being a, a son, being a child versus just being you know, a worker, if you will. Uh, thank you, Sonia. So to Robin's point, this checklist, as a group, we tend to fall into, well, let's make sure that we have a checklist that we all agree on so that we are unified um, in our corporate worship and feel like that that tends to lead us down a path of our checklist gets smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. Yeah, so we we tend to make the checklists starting with kind of that corporate, like what do we do as a group, which then when you say smaller, you mean gets more restrictive? Yes. Right, yeah, it tends to go for the most common denominator, which tends to make it more and more restrictive, right? So it's like it becomes Maybe tighter is better than smaller because it actually tends to become longer. <laughs> you know, it gets more things in there. Which, there's a certain wisdom there, right, in a certain sense, because we don't want to have people who have to leave because they don't hold the same views on some things. At the same time, it can easily cross a line, which is why I think it's really important we also remind ourselves of those core principles. Because sometimes what happens is we make this, these set of rules, and then the rules become the principle, and then we've lost it at that point. And then we have no way to even know what kind of rules we should have because we are, we are out with the principles. We got the small laws, but we forgot the big laws. That's G.K. Chesterton's point. Yes, ma'am. Yes, that's true. Yeah, the, unity winds up being keeping status quo, and it becomes it tends to become about that those do nots, right? This goes to the back point, but we forget about the do's. Okay, what do we? How do we do? We don't have those conversations about how do we do these things? How we do them in a way that doesn't offend everybody, but we still have to do them, and we don't tend to have that discussion. Yes, sir. Yeah, if you have love, it's going to fix a whole bunch of problems. Like I said, I, I didn't, I wasn't sure if you said 16, and then I turned in context, you meant 60. <laughs> That's why I heard you wrong. You're not going to drive 60 miles per hour through a neighborhood. Why? Because you don't want to kill a kid. Right? So the law is meant for unrighteous people. This is exactly what the New Testament authors say. This is what Paul says. Tony. If we even look at those things that way, 
But even in the New Testament, how do we go through and how do we look at that? When we study books, we, we parse out the Greek words. We, we really get away from, okay, what, what's he trying to say to us? What, what is he trying to say? What's at the core of this? What comes to God's mind about this particular issue? We keep going back to this political law of building parapets on the top of your house. The point isn't for aesthetic purposes, but for you to be considerate, like you're talking about, be considerate of someone from in your house. So I extrapolate from that. Well, if there's a hole in my yard, maybe I should put up something around that, or maybe I should throw it out, put something over it. It doesn't have to say it for me to extrapolate from that. I think we talked about this before, how we look and we so block it. People that that can only re regurgitate exactly what has been said to them in the exact same form, but not be able to make extrapolation from the point they made. And so when we read the Bible, how do we do that? How do we extrapolate from this? What is the intent? Because we disagree on a lot of stuff. And so do I say, because we disagree, you're wrong or I'm wrong? Or is, is there is there always that freedom just because you may try to be coming at it from the right heart? I might be trying to come at it from the right heart. Like, is God pleased with that? Or is he saying, well, you're kind of both wrong on that. You know, so where in, where in what Jesus says, gospel accounts, does he say that, well, there's actually only one way to do this, but, or there's only one part right behind this, and there's only one way that it's manifest, because we don't see that from him. I think we extrapolate that from saying some things that Paul and Peter and the other apostles say, but, like, and you can come away from this, like, I'm still a little, a little confused, a little obscure, or a little bit mythical, uh, mystical, like, where, where's that ethereal center? Right, I mean, this is why, this is exactly what Robin's pointing out, it, the checklist is kind of comforting. Like, what does it mean to love? The world has a very different definition of us, to your point. Okay, so we say we have to love. What does that mean? Now, for us, this doesn't, this moves the ball forward in a certain sense. In the same sense, it doesn't answer the question, which is for us, love is when God comes to die naked on a cross for people who did not do right. That fixes a whole bunch of problems. But still, it doesn't answer every question. This is the point. And like, I, I agree with you. Sometimes people get, get into a word study. This goes to John Crowley's point, And they get into the individual words and they parse all these things out. And a lot of that could just be answered by reading the context. Right? Don't be a, a bookful blockhead, as, as Adler puts it. I agree. Uh, Ryan, and then Brad. So I won't say, I, I'm just, this is how it's looking for me. When Jesus said, not going to abolish the prophets and the laws, I'm here to fulfill them. I think what he meant was, I'm here to inculcate them. I'm here to demonstrate by doing, or to live them out in front of you. So it looks different than what we have read in the previous, you know, section of the Bible. It's just because we didn't have an example of somebody actually living them out. So, you know, when he says he blesses us with freedom, what he's doing is giving us the opportunity to align ourselves to God, which is not an opportunity that religion gives us in general. I mean, this is, this was, you know, your opportunity. Jesus says this is your opportunity 
if I'm the fucking guy who be watching Roy and I'm going to go, you know what, he doesn't drive 60 miles an hour through that neighborhood. And in doing so, I might just turn around and say, I'm not going to do that either. We had this problem of we think that Jesus was there to tell them this was the law. Or that we have to teach people by, let me read this verse to you, and you recite it back to me. Now you know the new law. Verses. Like, this is how you live this out. Come, come walk alongside me, and this is how you live it out. If, get, if something is getting in your way for that, I, I think you have found you know, a stumbling block. And so you just walk around. Yeah, and that's, that's the thing. This is one of the things that we have in the new law that the old law didn't have. I agree with you. Jesus came to inculcate these principles into them. There were principles that were always there. And, and that's why he, when he talks about the law, he's trying to see that those principles were always there. And I, I agree also, too, that religion does not generally give you this. The way to do this is it's a perfect way to teach it. You teach it by showing it in action. That's what God did. He came down and said, let me show you what this looks like. And show it lived out. We talk about how John Carlin and I have had a discussion about how common law, which is a set of principles that undergird law today, constitutional law and so forth. And they'll talk about it as a body of common law. This was what John said to me. He said, think about it. They call it a body of common law, which is a set of principles for which the rest of the law is. In the New Testament, we literally have a body of common law in Jesus. He lives out these concepts. You want to know how this lives? You look at his life. And that starts to answer some of these questions. I'm not saying it's always in a super clear, checklisty way, but it does answer some of these questions. Brad? Oh, um, and then Ryan. So it, it reminds me of Tim Keller, the Tim Keller video you showed, where the difference between a Christian and non-Christian is not that the Christian has it all figured out and, has, is, and lives a perfect life. The difference is the Christian knows he's not perfect and knows he's not living the perfect life. And if you remember uh, in Luke 18, the parable of the tax collector and the Pharisee, the tax collector went away justified because he was humbling himself, beating his breast, saying, forgive me, I'm, I'm a sinner. The Pharisee was the one going, I'm so glad I'm not like that guy. And the, the struggle is... We want to be viewed as the tax collector, but we want to have it all figured out like the Pharisee. We view ourselves, we want God to see us as the tax collector, humble, penitent, but we want, we want to make sure that we have it all figured out like the Pharisee. And you can't do both, right? And that's what Tim Keller's video, it was about, that Christians recognize that they are unworthy and that they don't have it all figured out and they humble themselves and they beat their chest and say be merciful I'm a sinner and that is the attitude the heart that then leads to righteousness because if you humble yourself you'll be exalted um, it's kind of like uh, dieting right we, we, you walk through the store and you see sugar-free, uh, fat-free, gluten-free, dairy-free. It's all free. It doesn't have this, doesn't have that, that. And sometimes you look at a food and you go, what exactly is in that? <laughs> right? And so we have this, when we have a checklist, it's we don't do this, we don't do that, we don't do that. You finally go, what exactly do we do? Right? So on that checklist, you, you, 
Maybe you have, some, you have some of those things that we don't do, but you have all the things that you do eat, right? So the freeing diet is when you go, hey, eat this, eat that, eat that, eat that, you know. Um, and I'm I'm not saying that because I'm great at dieting, clearly. Um, so in that in that regard, I am the tax collector. Uh, I am not really I I am the cheapest sinner. So I don't know if that answers. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with you. We do. We have to convince ourselves that we have it all figured out. We say we're not like the Pharisees, and then we follow it on with, but we got it all figured out. And the problem, I think, with that, too, is that we feel like the only way we can be saved is if we have it all figured out. Well, then what we have to do is we have to convince ourselves we've got it all figured out. Or we have to get really creative, and that's precisely the people Jesus finds when they're like, yes, but who is my neighbor? Nice try. Right? I mean, think about the rich young ruler who comes up. It's like, yes, but I've been doing these laws since I was a young one. Oh, really? I mean, he just drops a bomb on the guy, okay? And this is what happens. So people have to be humbled. And that brings us back to the Sermon on the Mount. That's why he opens with the weirdest thing in a sermon. It's not a to-do list. It opens with a a to-be list in a certain sense. And the to-be list is weird. It's good if you hunger, thirst after righteousness. Now, who would hunger for righteousness? Those who know they don't have enough of it. So he's not, what he doesn't say is, blessed are you when you use less grace now because you've gotten yourself to be a better person. He doesn't say that. He actually opens with the opposite. Blessed are you if you know I need help. And when you, when you can go back to that, then the rest of it starts to make a lot more sense. Ryan? Uh, I think I saw Tony. Did I see your hand raised? Okay. Yeah, yeah, if we say we're going to have to be like Jesus, then we have to actually give them something about Jesus. What happens is we want to be like Jesus. Well, how do you be like Jesus? Oh, I got a checklist. (laughs) It's like, well, what? Unless that checklist is of one, it says be like Jesus. We we start there. We have to start there. And that means those principles have to be found when you understand the heart of who Jesus is. And I I, I think you're right. I think we mess that up sometimes. I remember talking to somebody who... And he was saying how a, a new Christian came to him and said, you know, I don't know how much to give. And he's like, okay, here's what you do. You need to give. And this is was, this was a conversation we had. And he said, you need to give greater than 10% of gross income. And he starts taking a bunch of passages. He's like, well, you don't want to rob God. Okay, go to Malachi. Okay, and then how much a day do you give? Well, they give 10%. Right. And the new law is better than the old law, right? Yes. Okay, so therefore you have to give more than 10%. And... I started pushing back on him. He said, you do realize, by the way, people had to give 23 to 28% in total. And he's like, well, we can't say that. That's too much. I'm like, well, listen, but then either pick the law or not. I mean, he should have said, well, I guess we'll have to update it and tell him 28% just to be safe, more than 28%. But he didn't do that. He suddenly switched away from the law, right? And here's the problem with it. When you go into the checklist, if you're going to get law-like about it, you better get fully law-like about it. Because I could say, well, okay, let me ask you this. When Paul talked about giving, did he have a particular situation in mind? Or did he say, this is something I want every church to do for all eternity? And then they realized, well, he did have a particular situation in mind. And, and as soon as you say that, the conversation suddenly shifts. It goes away from this kind of law checklisty attitude, and it suddenly becomes about principles. But that's my point. I'm the one saying it should be based on a principle. You're the one who said, I can take a bunch of passages and give you an exact percentage that gets you into heaven. 
Right? So you don't get to switch from principles. You need to get pick one, check the checklist, or pick the principle. But you only get one. And the principle, ultimately, is something about Jesus. Yes, sir. Okay, yes. If that's your view, you must give greater than 10% of gross income. That's, a, that's limiting. So let's not act like you're more holy because you have this number in a very creative use of several passages taken out of context. It's limiting. Because if you say that, 10%, greater than 10% of gross income gets you into heaven, you will get 10%, maybe a little bit more just to give you a little bit headway. Nobody gives the IRS more than they have to, unless you make a mistake. Okay, that, that's what happens. It sets a floor, but it does not set a ceiling. And when you, when you realize that the ceiling is Jesus, the ceiling is when God came to, to rescue you and die this horrible death, that doesn't get you the minimum. That gives you more, much, much more than the minimum. And so the new law sets a ceiling, not a floor. Tony. Like, just think about all the things that you 
not a law. He didn't exactly abolish the law, he fulfilled it. But we think of it as like, it's a thing and it's done away with, but it's actually the thing that we should have been studying all along to understand how, okay, how does God filter all of these things that I have to do in my life? When I pick a job, if I have a job on do I think about how I glorify God? How can I help my neighbor? How can I support my family? Not what prestige comes with that, how much pay comes with it. Because I may, I may actually pay a lot more paying job because I can be free to do more things for other people that a higher paying job requires a lot more hours. Yeah, and I think this is the thing about those big laws, the principles, is that the principles are not more limited, but they're, they're less limited when it comes to the letter. And so that's why I agree with you. I think sometimes we limit what we give to this little tiny sector of our life when how much we're supposed to give is 100%. I'm not talking about how much of your paycheck you stick. I'm saying the whole thing is about you giving because that's what God gave, okay? That's the principle that we have to get with this. And it, I, so I totally agree. It does wind up putting inherently a limit. And I think that's where you get some pushback on this. Is like, okay, when you say the big laws, those core principles, People feel like what you're saying is that some of the individual things we're told to do, then you're saying, well, I can take the principle and override that thing. No, no, no. I'm, I'm saying it's bigger than that. And when you go to the principle, you'll find that there's other ways you can apply that principle other than that individual thing. It's bigger than that. And that means, if anything, it applies more. And the person who wants to make it checklisty is actually reducing its scope, not increasing it. All right. I think I saw another hand raised. Yes, ma'am. He threw right in the middle of this for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And I think that is the starting point because he talked about the law and he threw that in and now he's talking about grace and mercy. But I don't think we always go back to what that means. I heard a definition of repentance this week that just really stuck with me. It's not doing the things that God hates. And then... So that's to repent, but to put on Christ is to cover ourselves or clothe ourselves with Him and do the things that He does. So we put away the things that God hates and we do the things that He loves or that He does and that He gave His entire life for us and ultimately died for us. We have to be willing to do that same thing. I mean, it's like sometimes you can't even give up a soccer game for a Christian. But we have to give up our entire lives for each other and ultimately be willing to die, to be like Christ. Yeah, and that's a good comment to end on. You have to put on Christ. We have to really understand what that means. Because I think sometimes what happens is, is that people tell Christians a big, long checklist of things to do. Because they see people not doing the right things. Okay, but, but the checklist isn't going to be, the problem is deeper than that. But why haven't they put on, you have to focus on him and his identity. And then we can talk about these other things. If we try it without really understanding what that means, what Christ did, then these other things, it just, it's never going to work. You're just trying to manipulate people who don't want to do the right thing. And it just doesn't work. Law won't do that. All right. Thanks, y'all.